It's Tuesday, May 5th. Welcome to Market Foray. I'm Matt Creer, and joining me from his home in Northern Virginia is Jason Moser. Jason, happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo, indeed. I think, man, I might make some enchiladas tonight. I'm not sure. What are you guys going to do? You know, I think that's the move. And I was also thinking about maybe picking up some margarita mix from one of our local establishments. That way you support kind of the struggling local restaurant and, you know, you, you get a good margarita out of it. So I win-win. Love, that's like, yeah, I love that. That's, that's, that's a good idea. Well, a little later, we're going to talk some Shake Shack and we will also talk about Chegg, which is in the business of education and Really, online and educational technology business is good for Chegg, not so much for Shake Shack, and we'll get to that. Um, But let's kick things off with Wayfair, the home furniture and home decor e-commerce retailer. Shares of Wayfair up 20% on better-than-expected revenues. Now, Jason, they are doing a big business in office furniture, perhaps not surprisingly, and cookware. Now, they reported 21.1 million active customers. That's up 29% from a year ago. So that all sounds good. And so it's a bit surprising, Jason, for I think a lot of people when they discover that Wayfair is actually losing money. So unpack all of that for us. Yeah, I mean, well, just Wayfair losing money is not really anything new. That's what they've been doing pretty much ever since they've been in existence. But it's all for a longer-term goal. I think certainly we're seeing a, you know, a time like this is it's shining a light on the advantages of the market that Wayfair is pursuing. You know, um, they aren't closed for business. A lot of their competitors are. And, and they will be for a while. And when they reopen, their competitors are going to be very limited to the traffic they can take in. And they're going to be limited by the willingness of consumers to constantly go out and shop for furniture and, and household items in crowded spaces. So, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot, of, a lot of the tailwinds that are coming into play for a business like Wayfair. But to go to those numbers uh, that you were talking about at the beginning there, uh, I mean, across the board, again, the metrics that matter continue to all head in the right direction. So, total revenue of $2.3 billion, up 19.8% from a year ago. Gross margin actually ticked up 70 basis points from a year ago. And that's important because those shipping and fulfillment costs are included there in that gross margin. And that's one of the bigger challenges for a business like this. Active customers, 21.1 million versus 16.4 million from a year ago. Orders delivered, 9.9 million, up 21% from a year ago. But the key metric here, and the one we talk about every time we talk about Wayfair's earnings, repeat customers place 69.8% of total orders in the first quarter. And that compares to 66% from the first quarter of 2019. Now, the reason why that matters, it costs a lot of money to acquire those customers. Okay, Once they get those customers in, they want to keep selling those customers more stuff. And so, the more they can get those repeat customers, the less they have to pay for those acquisition costs. And down the road, that ultimately re- results in profitability for the business. They're not there yet, but they're certainly getting closer. Okay, so I want to talk about another metric, and that is the stock. The stock chart for Wayfair is just amazing. I would encourage everyone, and I don't think I've ever done this on the show, but I would encourage everyone to look at the year-to-date Wayfair stock chart. So, at the beginning of the year, in January, Jason, shares trading around $93. By mid-March, shares down to $23, which was around a five-year low. Okay, 93 to 23 Now, seven weeks later, Shares are at 160 bucks. 
How is that happening? What is going on with a stock that goes from 23 to 160 in around seven weeks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's been a phenomenal ride in a very short period of time. And I think there are a lot of factors at play here. Um, primarily, so I think when you look to Wayfair, we think about before even the coronavirus concerns, okay? If we go back even pre COVID 19, Wayfair, along with a lot of other companies, they were dealing with, you may remember those China trade issues that, that, that we were batting around in the headlines seemingly every day. And that was something that was going on for seemingly, I think, around like 18 months or something. So they were dealing with that China trade problem. And that matters because a lot of Wayfair supply chain really does come out of China. So that was a headwind. And then at the beginning of the year, obviously, the coronavirus concerns developed. And we entered this bear market. And that killed everything, Wayfair notwithstanding. And that was really where you saw Wayfair just get shellacked. Now, we're seeing, not only with the results that the company's turning in, but the general market's turn, it's clear that actually Wayfair's market opportunity, it's accelerating. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. With all of their competition, a lot of their competition, is, is they're, they're closed for business, right? And, and even furthermore, when they reopen, they're going to face you know, myriad challenges just to get business back to the way it was. And, and so, I think along the way here, Wayfair did some pretty good things. I mean, they they raised some capital. They were able to pull in some money from some investors to strengthen up their balance sheet through a private placement. They did have to let go of of some employees. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred people or so. Now that's obviously not good uh, for people losing their jobs, but ultimately for for a business that was arguably bloated, it right sized the business of the business. And, and then I think finally, you know, going to the results today. There were some key points that management made in the call that I think are really leading to some of the enthusiasm. The one thing that stood out to me, they said, I'll read this quote to you. They said, I quote, starting in mid-March, we saw a pickup in both traffic and conversion with increasingly strong repeat behavior coupled with an acceleration in new customer orders. And so that's like the opposite of everything we've been hearing to this point. We're hearing about how businesses were doing fine in January and February, and then March business fell off a cliff. Wayfair's basically witnessing, witnessing the opposite. Yeah. And further, they're seeing that acceleration going into this quarter here. So now we've got a business that's inching its way closer to profitability, and that profitability is based on some pretty conservative top-line assumptions. So I think you, know, you couple all of that together, and, and it's, it's easy now now to see the market's enthusiasm for this business because the investments that they've been making, much like Amazon did in its early days, it's becoming a little bit more obvious why they made them. And Jason, that mid-March timeframe, that makes sense to me though, because that's when I sprung for the office kind of type chair for at home, because that's when I realized, you know what? I need essentially a home office. I'm going to be working yeah. from home. And that's when it really kind of sunk through. And when you look at that Wayfair stock chart, it looks like, you know, in mid-March, that's when a lot of people are like, uh-oh, I'm going to be working from home. I <laughs> yeah. got to get it together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you're right. Um, and I think that like like a lot of things, even when we get back to normal, there, there's going to be a bit of a new normal. I think people are probably realizing they can get a lot done from home uh, maybe don't necessarily have to go to the office. I, I have to believe there is there there are some tailwinds forming there. But, but yeah, I, I think it's just been a fascinating story to watch play out. Um, I do understand why the market is receiving this report so positively today, even though the business still isn't profitable. I mean, to, to their credit, uh, they did note that this progress puts them on the trajectory to 
positive adjusted EBITDA margin in Q2. Now, I mean, adjusted, yeah, we always talk about that. And I, I have always made the argument that we just live in an adjusted world now. Clearly, <laughs> clearly the, the market is okay with adjusted EBITDA um, in regard to a lot of businesses. But, I mean, Wayfair's just developed a long track record of success. And again, we go back to those metrics that matter. All of those metrics that matter, the top line, the margins, the repeat customers, they're all going in the right direction. And that is really what matters. So, if, if you can take that long-term view like we do, I think the case for where, for Wayfair is becoming abundantly clear, and they've got a lot of opportunity ahead. Okay, Jason. Well, speaking of the new, nor- new normal and speaking of success, shares of the education technology company Chegg up 30% on better-than-expected earnings and strong growth. Now, Chegg rents digital and physical textbooks offers online tutoring, and offers other student services. So, Jason, feels like a really good time to be in that business. Yeah. I mean, again, I think with your your online businesses like Wayfair, your e-commerce businesses, um, Chegg is, I think, taking advantage of what will kind of become a new normal in a lot of cases. I mean, this is a business that in all likelihood should continue to exploit a pretty compelling value proposition in the coming years as we see higher education continue to evolve. And in, in, in ultimately, they call what they have a direct-to-student learning platform. And so, they, they for a long time, they were in the business of basically renting textbooks to students. And if you look at the graphs, if you look at the economic data throughout time, it's actually pretty amazing to see how expensive textbooks are. But, you know, we went to college. You remember that, I'm sure. Yeah. College textbooks cost <laughs> a lot of money. And so, you know, they, for a while, they were in the renting the books, and then they got into digital books as, as, as Kindles came online. And then, ultimately, they grew this business into a student service business. And now, they make most of their money via subscriptions. Students who subscribe to their services, like Chegg Study, Chegg Writing, Math Solver, Tutors, uh, that services uh, income is, is the, the majority of the business. They grew the subscriptions to 2.9 million students for the quarter, up 35%. Revenue grew at the same rate. Uh, COVID-19 has certainly been a challenge for everyone, but it's, I, I think it's serving as a, a tailwind for this company as, as education continues to move beyond the physical location. And, and I think you know CEO Dan Rosenweig said something important on the call. It was a great quote. I love it. He said, crisis often accelerates the inevitable. And that is what we're seeing happening now in higher education. And I think he's dead right. I mean, crisis typically does accelerate the inevitable. We're seeing that play out in a few different markets, and education is definitely one of them. Uh, But renewals are up, cancellations are down, they continue to grow. Uh, There's a big market opportunity of students out there uh, beyond even the domestic market here. And I think we can all agree that higher education is a market that is is ready for disruption to bring those costs down for students and, and, you know, bring better results. And that's really what Chegg is all about. So, I've been following this company for a long time. Not surprised to see him doing really well. And again, it's it's one that's it's I think a five or a six bagger here over the last five years or so. So so investors who've who've held on there are feeling uh, feeling pretty good about it. Yeah. So let's talk more about that because yeah, the stock's up more than five times in value over the past five years. Um, shares up more than forty percent this year. So when when you think about that quote about crisis accelerating the inevitable. Are we still in the early stages of kind of this accelerated adoption of Chegg technology? And if so, is there still plenty of room to run for the stock? 
Yeah, I, I do. I think we're still in the early days, and I think when you look at the overall opportunity, you know, they'll, they'll quote somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 million students in the markets that they serve, and, and that's the United States, that's Canada, England, Australia, so some of the major markets out there. And, and, and it, you know, around three million subscribers today. I mean, you can see there's that opportunity to continue to grow. They have a great brand awareness among students, and they are doing a very good job of getting into students' lives before higher education even really becomes the lifestyle, right? Like if you're a junior or a senior in high school and you're trying to make sense of exactly how you apply to college, how to do it the right way, scholarships, grants that are available. I mean, Chegg has all of that as well. So they're doing a good job of establishing the relationship with students earlier when they're juniors and seniors so that when they get to college, students are already very, very much aware of Chegg and the services that they have to offer. And, and I mean, and again, we go back to this whole idea that, I mean, higher education certainly is ready to be disrupted in a lot of different ways because the costs are astronomical. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily clear that the benefits actually outweigh those costs in a lot of cases. And so if, if Chegg can make it more efficient uh, and ultimately produce better outcomes, I mean, that's a great thing. And, and they continue just to message, you know, the company's purpose is it's a student-driven company. They're there for students. So, I mean, you got to like that message. Well, speaking of being there for students, let's talk Shake Shack. <coughs> I love me some Shake Shack, and it is hard times <laughs> for Shake Shack right now, Jason. Shares down around 4% on earnings. Same store sales falling. They call it same Shack sales. Yeah. I, I just can't go there. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm going to call them same store sales falling around 12.8%. Higher beef prices taking their toll. Now, Jason, around 78 of Shake Shack's 287 restaurants are temporarily closed entirely. So 78 out of 287. And New York is Shake Shack's biggest market. So this is tough times for Shake Shack. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like Tiffany in that regard, very levered to New York. And so when New York has problems, Shake Shack has problems. And, and I think that this is another point in time where we're seeing that play out. And, and yeah, to your point about same Shack sales and all that, Ugh. I mean, this is one of those companies where you need actually a multi-page appendix to actually parse through what they're referring to in the earnings release. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, it, it's exhausting just to even read through their little, their clever puns and whatnot. So, it, piece of advice to management, why don't you just, just clean that up a little bit? Just just start, yeah. just talk normal. Um, it, but yeah, I mean, tell me if you've heard this one before. Restaurant reports mixed quarter, sales fall off a cliff in March, company withdraws guidance for the rest of the year. Uh, that's you know exactly what is happening with Shake Shack. I mean, it's a very difficult time for a lot of these restaurants. Uh, but they turned in, I think, a respectable quarter, given that. I mean, total revenue is up 8%. Comps for company-operated Domestic stores fell almost 13%. That's that same Shack sales number. Um, and but to your point I would there, think that would even be worse, though. I mean, that it, it, to your point, that surprised me. In, in, this, in this climate, I'm like, you know what? That feels like that could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. And I think it's a testament to how, uh, how, how strong and how important the months of January and February were. Because if you look at uh, some of these numbers going into March and in, 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 uh, you know, in entering this, this coronavirus crisis, um, I mean, sales in the comp base averaged down 73% across the portfolio later in the month compared to the same period last year. And in the most recent fiscal week, the week ended April 29th, those same shack sales were down 45% compared to the same period last week. And so you definitely are seeing a lot of headwinds that this company, it, it feels like they're just kind of entering this, this period of, of really strong headwinds. And it's not entirely clear how quickly they'll be able to get out of it. Now, they continue 
to invest in things like delivery. They're no longer uh, just exclusively Grubhub, which I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you got to really open that channel up to as many delivery options that are out there. It's a bit of a double-edged sword because, I mean, obviously they're lower margin sales, but you're ultimately keeping traffic moving and selling product. And in these times, that's a net win. Um, they did tap the markets for some additional capital. They are in cash conservation mode, which means they're going to be limiting the number of stores that they're opening. And they had some stores that are getting ready to open. They put all that on pause. Uh, I mean, it's it, I, I've always I must say I mean, this, I, I like Shake Shack. I think it's perfectly fine food. But that's just it. It's fine. It's a burger. It's a burger place. It's just one of many. It's kind of a so tepid endorsement. Perfectly <laughs> fine. So it's, I mean, that's that's something that I would expect you to say about Wendy's. Well, I, I, I think that you know Shake Shack is probably on par with Wendy's. To be quite wow. honest with you, wow, wow, okay, it's just so, it's a decent burger. I don't, you know, I don't think it's anything. And that to me is just I, I don't think they're doing for the burger like what Chipotle did for the burrito. Okay, right? okay. I think those are two very. I don't think they're doing for the burger what Chipotle did for the burrito. And so therefore, I have to wonder, you know, why would the market continue to give a restaurant like this such an astronomical multiple? Now, part of that is because they think there's a lot of growth opportunity there. Plenty of brand awareness. It's a strong brand, and again, it's a good product. I think it's perfectly fine. I just don't think it's it's earth shattering. And and I think when you look at the struggles that the business is is going through now, it makes sense that the stock has been cut in half since the middle of last year. Um, I don't know what necessarily sends this back in the right direction anytime soon because of one of the bigger headwinds that they are going to be running into here in, in a lot of other restaurants is is beef, not only a price of beef, but just the accessibility of beef. I mean, we are running into, I think, potentially a beef shortage here. And I, I saw an interesting note earlier from an analyst who had been out there looking at this at this market. And was focused on Wendy's in particular, and and after going through online menus, I think came to the conclusion that one fifth of Wendy's uh, restaurants out there actually are, are out of beef completely. Wow! And so for a burger place, you know, I mean, Shake Shack sells more than burgers, but that's a good one third of its basket. I'm is, not gonna. I'm beef. not gonna make. I am not gonna make the where's the beef joke. But it's just. <laughs> it's waiting just waiting. That. Oh, you're just you, teeing me up. But you know, you I, made I, it. You made it by acknowledging I, that I, you weren't going no. to make it. I'm trying to be better than that. So I'm just. <laughs> but I can. I can hear the quote. I can hear her saying it right now. It's killing me. Did you I'm do that intentionally? I'm hearing it too. No, I. You know, I, I didn't do it intentionally, but I am hearing it too. I, I heard it play in my mind when I was reading through the call. <laughs> okay, so as we wrap up there, though, I've got to ask you. Burgers aside, I'm going to give you a choice. You've got a Shake Shack shake, or you have a Wendy's Frosty. What are you going with? Man, that's a pretty good one. You're debating. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up on the Wendy's Frosty, but I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss the, the delight from consuming a Shake Shack shake, and I have had one. I mean, I think if you're giving me the choice, I'm going Shake Shack shake. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. 10 times out of 10. I, I think love a Frosty. Don't get me wrong, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's a subjective question, but there is a right answer, and yeah. Shake Shack is the correct answer. Yeah, I love I mean, me some more these I, I think there's a good market for Shake Shack. I mean, they, they you, you said 287 stores, 167 of them are company-owned, 120 of them are licensed. I mean, they'll, they'll kind of continue to go through that. Uh, I mean, a bit of a bad look there in the middle of the quarter as they took money from that pay... Pop, uh, pay payroll protection program, but but they did return that money, um, and, and they did demonstrate that they could raise some capital. So, it's nice to hear that they're in, in cash conservation mode, and they'll, they'll, they'll do fine. I mean, I just don't know that I'd put this at the top of the list of, of compelling investments. Okay, time for the desert island question. You're on a desert island, and over the next five years, you have to buy one of these stocks, and you have to hold it. 
What are you going with? Wayfair, Chegg, or Shake Shack? Uh, Wayfair, easily. Wayfair is the one that I do own out of all of them, but I think that Wayfair is the biggest market opportunity. It's the market opportunity that's growing most quickly. Uh, yeah, Wayfair. Okay, and let me ask you a question on on the furniture issue. I have this. I have this nice little chair that I assembled and I bought it on Amazon on a Wayfair. <laughs> okay. But it, the, the wheels are really cheap. Right. And I've got yeah. the hardwood floor under it. The floor is not scratched noticeably, but do, do I need to get the plastic mat to make the sliding easier? Am, am, is that where I am now? Or do I just say, you know what, I'm just going to roll or, or in this case, not roll with it. What, what's wow. my move here? I mean, listen, if I, I so probably the first thing I would look to is what is your wife's reaction to all this? Because if your wife is really hammering you about little scratches in the floor, then the answer is very clear. She asked me if the floor was scratched. And oh. from from and I will say from my vantage point, it doesn't look to be that scratched, but I'm not sure I have that keen of an eye. No, you probably don't in regard <laughs> regardless regardless perception is reality, but your wife's perception is really reality. So okay, I, I think good. that I would rather avoid that argument and I would make the investment in the in the plastic protection <sighs> uh, mat to go on the floor just to avoid having that argument down the road because at some point or another uh, you know, there's going to be discussion of having those floors refinished. And Mac, you know, I'll, I'll gladly come over there and help you do that. I made, um, I made your help because I never <laughs> felt like I was going to be the guy that was going to get a plastic protection mat under my desk chair at home. I don't know why. It just feels know. like, and, and now I will say they appear to have them at Costco. So that excites me. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not sure they carry them at Teladoc, but you know, Costco. <laughs> That's a new line of business for sure. <laughs> okay. I think I think you are a wise man. I think I'm going to give me a plastic mat. So there you go. Jason Moser, thanks as always for joining me. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.